I've been sensing uh, a need for a couple of months to really preach on the body of Christ, and, and I've been hem-hawing around about it because I want to work on Acts. You know, we didn't get very far in Acts this year. We're through chapter 4. There's like 28 chapters. We're a long way off, okay, of getting through the book of Acts. But I really sense a, a, a impression of the Holy Spirit to talk about a few things in the next few Sundays. I've got four Sundays uh, between now and December that uh, I was going to go through Acts chapter 5, but I changed it. We're going to do a series called One, and we're going to talk about unity in the body of Christ. We're going to talk about the resident gifts of the Holy Spirit in the, in the body of Christ. We're going to talk about how the gifts of the Spirit are used in the church or used corporately uh, in the body of Christ. And then we're going to talk also about loving, loving well. How many of you know that in between... Uh, in 1 Corinthians, in between the chapters on spiritual gifts and church order is a chapter called the love chapter. And so Paul breaks down this great, in chapter 12, he breaks down the spiritual gifts of the church and, 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 and what God has set in the body to help the body and strengthen the body. And at the very end of chapter 12, he says a very curious phrase. As he has gotten through this great teaching about the gifts of the spirit, he gets to the end and he says, you know what, those gifts are awesome, but let me show you an even better thing. And then he goes into love. So we're gonna talk about how all the gifts of the body, all the unity of the body, everything really should be bathed in love. I don't know if you know it or not, but there's things going on in our world right now, uh, good, bad, and ugly, that's usually the case. Uh, but it sure seems to me that uh, more and more, and I think this is true even from the first century, more and more we're moving closer and closer to the second coming of Christ. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't even care when it's going to be. My goal is for us to be prepared and ready whenever it happens. Amen? That's really all I want. I, I'm not interested in figuring out when it's going to take place. I think we should be wise and pay attention to the signs of the times and see what is happening in the world and like, oh, the things going on right now are leading us towards the coming of Christ. But what, what things should Christians be doing? I'm going to give you two things. This is not in the sermon. Two things that Christian, I'm not, I didn't even started yet. Two <laughs> But I was sitting around my living room talking to my kids and like, it's a rare moment when all my kids are in the room together. And we were just talking about things and I've got eight kids. So let me go to Mimi. Mimi, where are you, where are you at, Mimi? Uh, anybody who whines about not being able to get their kids ready for church, we are the wrong people to talk to. Because <laughs> we'll be like, your heart's so precious. What is <laughs> Anyway, two things, that's a side note, two things Christians should be concerned about as we draw nearer to the, to the coming of Christ. Number one, holiness. Number one, holiness. In other words, we should be spiritually and emotionally pure. We should be moving towards a place, in fact, Ephesians 5 says, uh, husbands love your wives, but here's, here's the part I want to hit on. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, why did Christ do that? So that he might sanctify the church, cleanse the church by washing of water with the word of God so that Jesus might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So in other words, when Jesus returns for his bride, the church, he's looking for a church that is holy. 
Amen, Pastor. See, it's hard for us to say amen to that because there's so many incongruencies in the lives of believers today that contradict the idea of holiness. But I believe that as Jesus comes back, the Lord is going to stir our hearts towards holiness and being holy for him. The second thing I think that Christians need to be paying attention uh, to in our lives right now is, is this, to have a strong, enduring faith. But it can't just be a faith that we hold. It has to be a faith that is active. James chapter 2. James says, don't you tell me about how awesome your faith is if you're not acting on your faith, if you're not employing your faith, if you're not working in the kingdom of God based on your faith. If you don't work in the kingdom of God as Jesus is getting nearer to coming back, you're going to be found with no oil in your lamp when the bridegroom comes. And the plan of God is for us to be found occupying the world, occupying for the kingdom of God, not being occupied by all the things this life affords us. That's a good word. And the call of the church right now is a call to holiness and a call to a persevering, enduring, active faith. God is moving us and he's moving the, God, the, the body of Christ to get it right, to prepare, to be in alignment with the Holy Spirit. And so look, you can, you, can do, you can do lots of things, you can put your hands to lots of things, but at the end of the day, how many of you know we need to walk with Jesus? Amen? So this message is entitled, Walk. Walk. You can, here's some fun for you, you can walk the line, while you walk in Memphis, or you can walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> or you can walk the thin line in boots, boots made for walking while you walk on sunshine. <laughs> but how should the body of Christ walk? So there's only three points. They're just long points. <laughs> if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Lord, help us today. May we hear the word of the Lord for the church this morning. In Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. Everybody say, urge. There's an urgency to Paul's word to us. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you've been called. Walk, number one, how should the church walk? Walk worthy. Number one, walk worthy. Paul says, I urge you to walk as a prisoner of the Lord, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Worthy of your calling. Paul has just spent three chapters, if you've ever read the book of Ephesians, he just spent three chapters telling us the amazing things that Jesus has done for the, for the church, for the body of Christ, how he has rescued us, how he has reconciled us to God, how he has saved us by faith, how he has set us up as sons and daughters of God, how he has a plan for our life. God did it so that you couldn't take credit for it. You are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. I mean, he says all these incredible things in the first three chapters, and then then he gets to chapter four and he says, because of all this, you better walk worthy. You better figure out how to live your life in a worthy manner. 
What is worthy? Well, he breaks it down for us. First thing I would say, and I'll just touch on it because I already talked about it. First is holiness. That's the obvious worth, right? Being holy. The Bible says be holy because he is holy. The Bible also says, I'm just going to say it to you in Hebrews, and it's also in the Old Testament. It says this, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I mean, can I just put that tension in your life? If you don't find a way and I don't find a way to begin to really walk towards holiness, not perfection. How many of you know holiness is not perfection? It's not perfection, but it's walking in an attitude and a posture of holiness in the things of God so that when Jesus comes or you die, you're found holy. It's the way that he would have us walk. So it's dealing with sinful strongholds in our life. It's dealing with roots of bitterness and unforgiveness. It's cutting the connections to our past and it's cutting those connections when it comes to shame and guilt. Can I just say kindly and lovingly to you, if you are attached to your past by shame and guilt, that is affecting your ability to walk in holiness. And the word of the Lord is, let's find a way to cut that off from your life so you can walk in liberty. That's the plan of God for our lives. So here's the thing. Look at verse 2, Ephesians 4, 2. Paul connects worthy walking, listen, to some other attributes or fruits of the Spirit. And he connects it to the body of Christ being one. And here they are. You're going to love them. They're amazing. That was a joke. (laughs) You don't have to laugh to make me feel better. He says in verse two, well, verse one, let us walk worthy of our calling. What does that look like? With all, everybody say all, All. humility. Why do you have to say that? With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Do you see the attributes? Humility. He starts with humility. Humility is thinking sober of yourself and others. It's preferring others. It's refusing to operate in the kingdom of God in any sorts of arrogance or entitlement. Humility. Gentleness. I think Paul's talking about gentleness towards our weak brothers and sisters, our distracted brothers and sisters, and even, listen, our foolish and carnal brothers and sisters. Carnal in the sense of those wrapped up in the things of the world, struggling to break free, wanting to serve God, but being pulled back at every corner to the things of the flesh. That's carnal. And Paul's like, we've got to be gentle. My nature, and I appreciated what Dr. Seiler shared in our prayer meeting this morning, my nature is to stand in criticism and judgment. Well, those people, they ought to be better. They probably don't even love God. They should change. They should transform. Paul says, no, no, no. Let's not approach our brothers and sisters like that. He's talking to the church here, guys. He's not talking about sinners. He says we should have humility and gentleness towards them towards one another. And he throws in the fruit of the Spirit, patience. How many of you are awesome at patience? 
Most of you didn't lie. That's good. <laughs> Let's be patient with those walking through darkness. I, I'm always struck, and I don't mean to pick on Dr. Seiler, but I'm always struck that in your life, Dr. Seiler, it was an 11-year journey, and, and people that walked with you for 11 years, 11, that's more than a decade. And I think to myself, do I have the patient, gentle endurance to walk with a brother or a sister struggling with sin, struggling with brokenness, struggling with whatever? Do I have the patient endurance to walk with them for 11 years? But that's what our call is, to walk with patience, to walk with enduring love. And enduring love rejects offense. Can I just tell you, you will have opportunity to be offended. If I have not offended you yet, just wait. <laughs> like it's going to happen. And you know why? Because the enemy knows offense dry, driven into your soul will not only destroy the oneness of the body of Christ, it will destroy you. So if you can resist being offended, how do we resist being offended? Well, we stay humble, we stay gentle, we stay patient, we maintain enduring love. And then when the opportunity to be offended comes, we just say, no thank you. I know I could be offended at that. I could be upset at that thing that happened in my ministry. I could be upset at that thing that happened over here. I, whatever it is, I could, I could be offended by that. But you know what? I'm going to choose to not be offended. Because that's the more godly thing, is to not be offended. So he says, let's have enduring love. I'm always struck by the, the, the proverb that says, love covers a multitude of sins. He says, have eagerness for unity. How many of you are eager for unity? Like, oh, I can't wait till we're unified. You know, like, like eagerness, like a kid waiting for vacation or a kid waiting for Christmas morning. There's an eagerness, right? How many of us have ever approached the body of Christ with an eagerness to walk in unity with one another? You don't even understand. We don't even, we don't even understand. When we walk in unity with an eagerness for unity, God will release the power of God in ways we've never imagined. Just read the book of Acts. They were in unity and God did unbelievable things among them. It's one of the reasons we don't see the unbelievable things today because we struggle to have eagerness for unity. And lastly, he says, be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker handling conflict biblically. How many of you know we are awful at conflict. And that's a human problem, not a church problem. That's a human problem. So guess what? In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to handle conflict. And I'm going to demand that this church handles conflict biblically. Some of you are super excited about that. <laughs> we're going to be biblical. We're going to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And we're going to say the last 10% in love to make sure that discipleship and transformation has a chance to take place. Our kingdom call is to walk worthy in ourselves and towards others. The second thing Paul says here in verse 4, we are to walk worthy. We're also to walk united. 
to walk united in, as one body in one step. Here's what he says. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope, there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you think that the Lord felt it was important for us to unite around the one? He said there's only one. There's one body. Universally, the kingdom of God. I do not believe God sees denominations. I don't think God gives two hoots about how we have divided ourselves over practice. There's one spirit. It's the same spirit in any part of the body. I love going on trips around the world and sensing the same Holy Spirit wherever I am, in whatever church or context I find myself for the kingdom of God. The spirit of God is the same. It's one spirit. It's one hope. All believers have the same ultimate blessed hope, and that is the return of Jesus Christ so we can be with him. That's the promise in John 14. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. We call it in our fellowship the blessed hope, but it's the same hope that all believers around the world have. It's the same hope. Jesus said, stay here, do the work of the kingdom until I come back, and I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come and get you and take you to where I am. That's the hope that we have. We have one Lord. The Lord and, and really what he's saying is the lordship or the sovereignty of Christ, the sovereignty of God is a universal sovereignty. How many of you know that God is not just in charge in Lafayette, Indiana? Did you know that? I know. Pff, shocking. He's like literally in charge in, in Indianapolis and even Washington, D.C., I know that's a miracle. That's just a flat miracle. He's in charge in Slovakia and China. He's in charge in Russia and Ukraine. God is sovereign. That's the truth, right? I mean, you're with me. That's the truth. God is sovereign. There is one Lord. There's not multiple lords. There's not multiple ways. There's not multiple sovereignty. We don't have to have a peace accord to get the Father to agree with the Son, to agree with the Holy Spirit. There's one Lord. And that's good news for us. That's good news for us. There's one Lord. He says there's one faith. We have the same basic essential doctrine. Unfortunately, we've added lots of wonderful things to it and some good things and some not so good things. And all over the world, in every denomination, in every, in every uh, tradition or, or fellowship of Christianity, uh, our doctrine has been convoluted and just you know blown up into lots of things that it was never meant to be. But here's what, when, when Paul says we have one faith, here's what we unite behind. And even... The Catholics believe this. It is Christ and him crucified and him risen from the dead and him soon coming again. That's our faith. We can convolute it all we want. We can add all the practices and outside side doctrines and blah, 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 all we want. But if the body of Christ is ever to be unified, we unify around Jesus Christ. It's a universal faith. 
And then he says it's a universal or one baptism. And really what Paul, I'm sorry my, my brethren, but he's talking about most likely the baptism, the immersion of the Holy Spirit. It being baptized by immersion. The word there in the Greek is immerse or to be totally consumed by. And then the implication is the Holy Spirit. That it was a regular, common, and expected experience for all believers. It did not cease at the end of of AD 100. Uh, We're not cessationists. But even our cessationist brethren still believe in Christ and him crucified and him risen from the dead and him soon coming again. We can unite around that even if they're wrong about the other. (laughs) And then last he says, there's one God and Father of all. He holds all things together. He's he's through, Colossians says, it is through him that all things consist. Your entire life, our entire world, everything out there, though it looks like darkness reigns, the reality is that our Father is holding it all together. He's holding your life together. He's holding the world together. He's holding believers around the world. He's holding history together. It is his story. Amen? And that's important for us to remember. He is the God, the Father of all, who holds all things together. These things have been convoluted. They've been messed up. But God is asking us to unite and walk in unity, in unified posture In fact, when we do that, we answer the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Jesus said, I ask you not only for these, his disciples, but also for all who will inherit uh, or or those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one. That's why I don't think he believes in denominations. He never wanted us divided. He never wanted us split up. He wanted us to be one as you are and I are one. As the Father is in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. That's the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's a prayer for us. It's a prayer for all those who will someday believe in him, which is us, to be one. How do we do it? Well, it's in verse 7. Like, I think Paul wrote this and went, you know, I've struggled with humility in my life. How many of you know Paul struggled with humility? Anybody know that? How many of you know Paul struggled with gentleness? Right? Right? He struggled maybe with loving people. He was pretty mad at Peter. He said some stuff to the church in Jerusalem. Like there were some things. When he first came to Christ, he's like, I am the least of the apostles. You know, I'm just, I'm the least of the apostles. Wait, I am the least of the, that feels more, more appropriate. I am the least of the apostles. And then later on, he's like, you know what? I'm the least of God's people. By the time he died, the humility and the gentleness and the love had come so strongly into Paul's life that he said this, I'm the least of sinners. I'm the, I'm, the least of, I'm the least of anybody. And he really believed it. How did he do that? Verse seven, grace, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's what that means. I'll say it this way. Grace has been apportioned for you. 
So you look at your life and you're like, I I stink at gentleness. I don't have any idea how to have more gentleness towards the people of God and the weak people and whatever, whatever. I can't even be gentle to my wife. Grace. Not your grace, but the grace of Jesus Christ that he says, you know what? You stink at that. You need a little more grace over here. You need a little more love over here. You need a little more uh, uh, effort, a little more power to walk in unity. Let me give you a little grace. And so Paul's saying, listen, whatever you lack, wherever you lack in your life, God makes up for it by giving the grace of Jesus Christ a portion to you. That's good. It's a portion. So what does that mean? He never gives you more than you need, but there's never a lack where you don't have enough. There's always enough. Now, do you always apply it to your life? Mm. But is it always there? Yes. It's always there. We've got to walk unified, and we do that through the grace of God. Lastly, we've got to walk together. There's a difference between walking unified in our faith, in our beliefs, in our understanding, and walking together. There's a difference. We can walk worthy. There's, per, there's all kinds of people in the church walking worthy, meaning that they are in their personal life, working out their personal life. It doesn't mean they're walking in unity. In fact, there's a lot of folks who believe they can walk worthy of the gospel and abandon the church, not be part of his bride. When Jesus comes back for his bride, if you hate his bride, I'm not sure how that's going to work out for you. If you're like, I love Jesus, I just can't stand his people. It's a package deal. You can't pick Jesus and not his people, and you can't pick his people and not pick Jesus. There's a way of walking in unity and walking together. We've got to walk together. How do we walk together? There are three things that, requ- that are required to walk together. And now I'm going to run over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're going to have the wrong passage up next because I, I see it says 1 Corinthians 4. That's the wrong chapter. It's 1 Corinthians 12. So just skip this one, but I'll read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The first one is how we're going to walk together. We have to receive one another. We have to receive one. Here's what Paul said. Just as the body is one, this is 1 Corinthians 12, Verse 12, as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body. Everybody say all. All. Though many members are one body. All the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the spirit, listen, this is the important part, in the spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and in other epistles he adds male and female, and all are made to drink of one spirit. So, so look, here's what he's saying. We have to receive one another and we have to reject the work of humanity that divides us. You with me? So guess what? You gotta be countercultural. You've gotta be, you've gotta not care about racial things, about socioeconomic things, about religious things. You gotta not allow those that are, he says Jews and Greeks, that's both religious and racial. He says, let's not worry about slave or free. That's socioeconomical. Poor people, rich people, in the middle people. God, God says, don't be divided by that. He doesn't care about religion, and as I said in other places, he doesn't care about male or female. He doesn't care if you're a man or a woman. 
He wants us to live united because all of us are part of one body. So it requires us to receive one another. Are you with me? Everybody with me? I know this is like more teaching than preaching, but you need to get it. We've got to get this. Okay, second, it requires honoring one another. And I don't have to preach on that because Brenda already did. We honor our pastors, sure, but there's an honor that has to come towards one another, honoring one another. It's verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For the body does not consist of one member. If the foot should say, well, I'm not the hand, so I don't really belong to the body. Uh, that would make it, would that make it any less part of the body? You can claim that you don't belong to the body, but if you're in Christ, you can stay home week after week after week and pretend you're not part of the body. Guess what? You're still part of the body. You don't get to uh, eliminate yourself. If the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make, any sense. It make, make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? How many of you are glad you're not a cyclops? <laughs> How many of you are glad for the vast majority of us, after you got over COVID, your taste buds came back? <laughs> Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I know there's still a few, but... Sorry, it'll be okay in the millennial reign. It'll all come back. You'll be fine. <laughs> that was mean. I'm sorry. He says, look, we're all part of the body. It is God who arranges the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. You know what I love about that? It means that God set you here for this season, for this time, for this moment in history. He put you at Connection Point Church, even if it was 40 years ago or 20 years ago or five years ago, or if even this is your first day. God is the reason that you're here. It isn't your decision. He sets the members of the body. You know, that, you know what else that means, though? you got no right to pull your roots up and go somewhere else until he resets you. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Because when we don't like something, when something doesn't go our way, or we allow offense, or we let something else happen, whatever, and those things happen in the body of Christ. I am not here to tell you that the body of Christ is perfect, because it isn't. If you haven't been hurt in church yet, you will be. And Jesus, how many of you know Jesus has been hurt by the church far more than you have? And guess what? He still loves his bride. So we have a responsibility to not allow those things in our life uh, to get in the way and uproot us from where God has set us. It's not what he wants. There are many parts, but one body. We've got to receive one another we have to honor one another. So we honor the different parts of the body no matter what they do or, 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 or what their role is or what their job is or even if they're the annoying part of the body. We still honor. Are you with me? I mean, can we just be truthful today? Sometimes if you're the toenail of the body, you become ingrown. And... We've got to pull the skin back and put in the bactine or the hydrogen peroxide and fix it. Because otherwise, you're going to cause us to be infected. Okay, terrible example, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you're not, that's part of honoring the parts of the body. In fact, he goes on, and it's the, the, last, thought, the last thought I have. It requires preferring one another. 
So the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I don't need you. If you look at the church in a myopic way, you will begin to say, well, I can do my thing in the church, and because it's my thing and it's important to me, none of the other things in the body matter. You're wrong. You're wrong. All the things in the body matter. He says, the hand cannot say to the foot, or on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So that toenail that's ingrown, we need to fix it. We got to fix it, right? Because it's indispensable. We cover it up with socks and shoes. We don't want to see the toenail. Don't get me wrong. But we can't let it be infected. He says, look, those parts that are, in, are, are, are weaker or seem to be not important are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, he puts more honor on them. And our, our unpresentable parts are treated with great modesty. Our more, than our more presentable parts require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. So it's this idea that when we prefer one another, we recognize it doesn't matter your gift. It doesn't matter if you're a leader or a worker or somebody that just serves or somebody that cleans the sanctuary or somebody that serves in the food pantry or somebody that doesn't serve anywhere in the church but serves outside of the church. You're no less part of the body. Does that make sense? So our job is not to judge and be like, well, if they really love God, they'd, they'd come and serve with me. If they really love God, they would do X, Y, and Z. Or thinking that you are somehow indispensable to the body of Christ. Paul's like, listen, we've got to receive one another. We've got to honor one another. And, we, and we've got to prefer one another in the sense of allowing the whole body of Christ to come together. It's how this works. So, I'm closing. How does it get hijacked? How does it get hijacked? Well, one, it never gets hijacked in the beginning corporately. Listen, listen very carefully to me. It always starts with individuals. So the, the church will always advance the universal church will always advance. Jesus said the, the gates of hell cannot even prevail against the church. But guess what? When we allow individually the unity of the spirit, the oneness that God has called us to, to be hijacked in our life, the enemy can destroy a body. He can destroy a body. So how does it happen? Well, a few different ways. Sometimes it's unresolved family of origin issues. It's things that have happened to us in our life that teach us to devalue ourselves or even prefer ourselves over others. Looking out for number one, don't trust anybody. Some of you were raised with your parents saying things like that to you, don't trust anybody. Well, guess what? Then you get into the church where we're saying trust everybody. Trust but verify, you know, like, like we're going we're gonna to trust the Lord, we're going to trust our leadership, we're going to trust our co-workers in the kingdom, we're going to just trust, like there's a, there's a powerful spirit to trust, but you were raised being told, don't trust anybody. Only people you can trust is your family. You can't, how many of you know that's going to affect you in the church? So sometimes it's family of origin issues that are unresolved. Sometimes it's the work of the enemy in our lives. Sometimes it's a failure of transformation. 
So like you come to the front or you raise your hand, you give your heart to Christ, but you stop at the cross. You don't get up from the cross and go, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do with me now? And you fail, there's a failure of transformation, allowing God to radically make you a new creation in Christ. Sometimes there's a fa failure of sanctification. So realize transformation and sanctification go hand in hand. So have you ever wonder why God radically transforms somebody in a moment at an altar, but other people have to journey for 11 years? I don't, yeah. <laughs> Linda's like, I've wondered that a lot. I don't know why. But I know that both are spiritual and both are acts of God. Transformation and long-term, slow sanctification is just as much God as an instantaneous deliverance. Why does he do it that way? I don't know. But sometimes we fail. We, we derail the process. We give up because we get tired. We get worn out. So we leave. Sometimes it's flat a failure of discipleship either in our personal intentionality of growing in the things of God, or sometimes it's that the church has not provided the on-road, the, the roads and the, the on-ramps so that we can be discipled. Sometimes it's a failure to launch, so to speak. We get all jazzed up about the things of God, and then God says, great, I've got a plan for your life. I want to transform you. And by the way, the other thing I want to do is I want to give you away. Can I just say, in the, in the giving away part, when God asks us to step up and serve in some capacity, whether in the church or outside of the church, that is part of being in unity with the body of Christ. Amen, Pastor Jeff. And if you're in here today and you've been in our church a long time and you're not serving anywhere, I hope you felt conviction in that word. Because the expectation of God is that when he comes back, our hands will be in the dirt. If your hands aren't in the dirt, because you're just too busy, you're too busy being occupied by the world. I told you, just hold on and I'll offend you. If you can't put your hands in the dirt of the kingdom of God because you're too busy being occupied by the world, my friend, the danger is you will not have a faith that perseveres because there's something about serving in the kingdom of God in some capacity, doing the work of the king. I don't care if it's in the church or out of the church. Sometimes out of the church is better. But there's an expectation that we would be people that serve. We can't, you know, what is it? Too much is given, much is required. So if God has saved you and transformed you and sanctified you and set you apart, you've got a responsibility to give that away to the world. And if you fail to launch, it can hijack your movement towards unity in the things of God. So I, like, I, I love you the same. I don't even know who I'll serve. I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't tell you. Because that's not important. I don't want to be skewed in my thoughts. But the, but the implication, the, the, the admonition here is to be in unity with one another and not allow hijacking of the oneness that God has called us to. So here's my questions. Are you walking worthy? Are you walking in holiness? Are you walking in humility? Are you walking in love? Are you walking in unity or have you allowed discord and offense and whatever, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying there aren't problems to work out. I just mean, have you allowed those things to get into your spirit and into your soul? 
and to the, to the point where you are out of unity, in, either in the body of Christ or in the spirit of God. And last, are, are you walking together? Are you staying in step with what the Holy Spirit is asking this body or wherever you are, whatever you're doing, are you in step with what the Holy Spirit is saying and walking together? And I, I can't emphasize it enough. No one has ever been called to the things of God to go solo. No one. Not the greatest apostle, not the greatest person who's ever lived, not anybody, even Jesus didn't go it alone. So what do we need to do? Lay down our life, be saved, lay down our need to matter or to be the most honorable part of the body, lay down the hindrances of offense and unforgiveness and even frustration, lay down, what you, I mean, how beautiful is it to just go, you know what? I'm just not gonna be frustrated. Just, I'm just not gonna be frustrated. Lay down your heart and submit it to the Father. Lay down your preoccupation with your own way of life. What is it the Holy Spirit is saying you to, to you today? Let's pray. Jesus, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. You've been here this whole time, but I invite you to come now and speak to our heart. God, those in this room that need to walk worthy, that you would speak to them. Those in this room, God, that need to walk in unity and they're out of unity. I bind the lying voice of, the, of, the, of Satan. I bind the lying voice of the enemy of our soul. God, those that are not walking in unity, keeping in step with the Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would convict them and that their hearts would be turned back to you, not to me and not to Connection Point Church, but back to you. And Lord, I pray for those who are not walking together, Lord. They're not walking with the Spirit. They're preoccupied with the things of this life and the things of this world. And they're not walking together with the people of God. Lord, that you would bring them back around for your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. I want you to stand with me all over the room. And I'm simply going to do this. It's 1146, so we're late, but we're essentially on time. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to listen to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart about any of those things or something else, I want you to respond to him whatever way you need to respond. The altar's open, I have the worship team sing, and we can be dismissed. I won't come back up and do any formal dismissal. If you're gonna hang out and chat and whatever, go do it on Main Street. If you need to do some business with God, you need to examine your follower, followerness or you're worthy, if you're walking worthy uh, towards the things of God, whatever. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit is saying to you, you better respond. It's not about me, it's not making me happy. I want you to do what the Lord is saying. Amen, does everybody understand what I'm saying? So if, you're, if you feel like the Lord's released you and you wanna go, God bless you. I really do love you. Even though I say mean things sometimes, I really do love you. But if you need to respond to the Holy Spirit, don't you dare leave this place without responding. So kneel at your seat, come to this altar, lift your hands to the Lord, whatever it is, and respond to him in Jesus' name.